If you would, please take your Bibles and turn with me to Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 through 21. Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 through 21. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind, and in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even to this even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us be of the same mind. Brethren, join in following my example, and note those who so walk, as you have us for a pattern, for many walk for many walk of whom I have told you often. And now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things, for our citizenship is in heaven, from from which we also are eagerly await for for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to this glorious body, according to the working by which he is able, even to subdue all things to himself. To work on the grace that he's shown to us, to strive to grasp an understanding of the depths of his love and his mercy. We took time this morning to gather around this Lord's table. We took time to remember, as it says on the front, to do this in remembrance of me. We're reminded in Ephesians 1 and verse 4 that he planned our redemption before the foundation of the world. And how often do we forget that? Have you ever thought about God and his eternal plan? You ever thought about the depths of that love to give his son as a price for our sins in order that we may have the hope of eternal life? Then how we as human beings at times have taken this privilege so casually have not seen it here but I have been in congregations that as soon as the Lord's Supper has been concluded people get up and leave something of the world something of the world is drawing them away from the fellowship with God. I've seen a whole group of 15 to 20 get up and walk out for some earthly gathering 
as opposed to being in the house of God. Again, that Jesus gave his life for the remission of our sins. And from eternity knowing those consequences. But there is a price for sin that is eternal in its consequences as there is a reward for faithfulness to God. Mentioned this morning, I'm amazed more and more, well, saddened more and more, that as I read, not so much those in the world, we live in a world, we live in a religious world, that want to acknowledge heaven but have, in essence, denied hell. And it saddens me that I live in a world now, always been, I know that, where those who have been faithful preachers of the gospel in their latter years have now taken a position that there is no eternal hell. How that must sadden the heart of God. He gave his son planned that redemption before he ever made mankind. We're reminded by Jesus in Matthew 25 and verse 41 that hell has been prepared for the devil and his angels. A man has given, been given free will <clears throat> to choose which way he wants to go. And then to read history, scripture, to read of the numerous times that God's people have chosen to abandon him and to worship idols. This coming Friday, our nation will remember December 7th, 1941. And we'll be encouraged to remember the loss of lives on that day. In Luke 19, 41, it's interesting, Jesus is coming into Jerusalem and he weeps over the city. He would have loved to have gathered him as a hen gathers her hen or chicks under her wings, but Jerusalem would not. Again, in God's eternal plan, watching that unfold, it broke Jesus' heart. He wept. He wept. Not over just the physical loss of lives that would come to those in Jerusalem, and that would come a number of years later in the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70, but the loss of lives spiritually and souls we should have anticipated and longed for the Savior that would reject him 
and crucify him. We talk about the great day of Pentecost. And the 3,000 who responded to that message and were baptized into Christ. But how many thousands upon thousands chose not? Heart sick for hell. The world has chosen not to even consider the reality of hell. The religious world has basically denied it. Or at the most, they may design it, de- design it for the very, 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 very wicked. But certainly not for them. No different than it was from the beginning. No different than it was for in the days of Jesus. In Luke 13, Jesus gives several examples of some who have lost their lives through one tragedy or another. And the people concluding that if they died in such a way that they must have been terrible sinners... They were not terrible sinners, but those who died were terrible sinners. And Jesus said, Nay, I tell you likewise, that you shall all perish unless you repent. Talked about those who were making a sacrifice and they were killed in the midst of making the sacrifice and the charge was, oh, they had to be terrible, terrible sinners. They had come to worship God and they were slain in that process. And Jesus said in verse 5, Nay, I tell you likewise, unless you repent, you all likewise perish. Paul reminds us there's a goodness and there is a severity of God. Goodness to those who obey and severity to those who do not. We live in a time and from creation has been so that we have never really viewed ourselves as being subject to the wrath of God. Adam and Eve did not when they partook of their forbidden fruit. Those in the days of Noah, Genesis 6, didn't consider that, as every thought was on evil continually down through God's people in time. 1 Corinthians 10 reminds us of Israel of old, that we are not to follow them as they did of old and died in the wilderness. Paul says that with many of them, God was not well pleased. And I always thought that being the kindness of God in recording that. With many of them, Over 600,000 fighting men came up out of the land of Egypt and only two entered into the promised land. With many of them, God was not well pleased. 
we want to consider the multitude and saying, surely that multitude, surely the multitude of the billions of people on the face of this earth would not be subject to the eternal wrath of God. Paul says, behold the goodness and the severity of God. Ours is not so much of thinking about the the wickedness of humanity and their going to destruction, although that needs to be considered in light of what we've partaken of here. He gave his life as an atonement for sins for all of humanity. We're familiar with the account in Luke 15. Several of the parables that Jesus uses to illustrate a point. But it's in verse 11 and following with the parable of the two sons. There may be times when we've identified with that son who is described as being prodigal, being wasteful, and what has been given to him and provided for him. The reminder being, is that us at times? Are we wasteful with what God has provided for us and given to us? It's sad to say so oftentimes we have that tendency to fall into the elder son that we need to be mindful of in our life. The elder son in verse 25 and following saw the excitement in the home with the prodigal who has returned. Verse 28, he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. What's he doing? What's the lesson out of that? Who is the father? And who is the father pleading with? So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years... I have been serving you. Listen to what he's saying. See if there's any application there. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you have killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you have always been with me, and all that I have is yours. Listen to him. God is saying, all that I have I've given to you, it's yours. Why have you not realized that and not accepted that? It was right that we should make merry. And be glad for your brother who was dead 
and is alive and was lost and is found. The older son would not go into the house of God to share in the blessings that the father would give. These things were written for us. There's no need or necessity to go into a descriptive account of how hell is described in the scriptures. And I said if hell was only one-tenth as bad as the Bible is describing it, we should want no part of it. It's not one-tenth as bad. It's a thousand times worse that could ever be described. But it's that reminder to us that these things are written for us. We have an obligation to share them. We have an obligation to encourage others to think seriously about eternity. But we have an obligation to listen to the scriptures speak to us. Wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many go in thereat. Because straight or narrow or difficult is the way that leads to life. And there be few that find it. It's easier to go the broad way than the narrow way. But there's a danger in going the narrow way because we can't end up like the older son. I've kept your commandments. I've stayed with you. And yet you have not rewarded me. The ingratitude we gather around this table to do in remembrance of him a sacrifice so vast and so extensive that we're unable to fully comprehend it. We gather around this table to remember the depths of his love. How long, how extensive his love has been, is, and will be throughout eternity. And yet we How often do we take what we do? How often do we take what we do as we gather together for granted? How often do we not think anything about forsaking the gathering of ourselves together to be about the things of the world And to try to justify it for whatever it may be.
the rare occasion only happens once. It's whatever this is. It's for family, whatever else it may be. We're forsake. Remembering the greatest sacrifice that man has ever beheld. The scriptures remind us time and time again of the seriousness, the consequences, and the eternity of not loving the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things shall be added unto you. You think about it as you read Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Again, how many sobering passages are there in the scriptures that are addressing not per se the sinners in rebellion, open rebellion to God, but addressing those who, as the oldest son, who are serving God, but only out of obligation. Not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, have we not done? Listen to them. Look at the list that is given. Look at the miraculous gifts that are being described. Have we not done these things in your name? And he will say, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Written to Christian, but look at again, 1 Corinthians 13. What we call the great love chapter. As it gives that biblical definition of love. How it reminds us in the very first three verses. That you can do whatever you want to do. You can do it to whatever length you want to do it. But if you do not do it with love, sacrificial love, what? It profits you nothing. Profits you nothing, no benefit. All this, look what we've done in your name. Look at all these good works that we've done. Look how we've taken care of this, 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 and this. But it was an obligation and not a life and a love. It's in vain. Love doesn't seek its own. And the list goes on. It's not provoked. It's not taken to a, a wrong into account a wrong suffered. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. Love never fails. We know that. Because you're here this, this morning. Love never fails. God loved you before the foundation of the world. It has not failed. 
Peter reminds us in 2 Peter 3 and verse 15 that we need to regard the patience of our Lord to be salvation. There were some denying that he was going to come again because he hadn't come. And Peter's saying, you need to look at that again. You need to understand that the fact that the Lord has not returned is because of his love for you and wanting you to change the life and to do his bidding. He had mentioned earlier in the second chapter that there will be those who will follow and then turn away. Like a pig going back to Waller in the, in the mire and the dog to its own vomit. To have tasted the good things. Hebrews 6, read that a little bit. A tasted of the heavenly gift and then fall away. How do you renew them? How do you take one, any one of us, who have tasted that heavenly gift, have understand the grace and the mercy of God, the forgiveness of sins, the hope of eternal life, the blessing that he dwells with us and dwells in us, that he walks with us, that he's given us promise that are beyond comprehension and beauty. And then to walk away. How do you renew him again to that first love? You read Hebrews, the Hebrews, you read Revelation 2 and 3. You read the seven letters to the churches. Do you not see the love of God? I love you. You're my children. You've done good. But when the Lord says, I love you, but you need to listen. You need to listen to what he's saying. I love you, but you need to repent. You need to take serious who you are as you've gathered around this table. You need to take serious what it costs for you to gather around this table. You need to take serious the reward for gathering around this table. And you need to take serious the consequence for thinking lightly of this table and of the Lord's body. Where will you be as we sing that invitation song? Where will you be almost persuaded? One of the sad songs, saddest songs we have. Almost persuaded, but lost. It may be you're living a Christian life. It may be that you're living this Christian life out of obligation and not out of love. Are you almost persuaded? 
Are you serving God almost with all of your heart? Or are you reserving a little bit for yourself? Almost is but lost. You decide. If you need to make a change in your life, if we could assist you, if we could help you in any way in that decision, we would bid you to come as together we stand and sing.